5: You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The 2022 midterm elections are just a few months away and with Democrats unable to find answers on the struggling economy, our open borders, rising crime rates, a lot of stuff Republicans are poised to make significant gains. I think that's putting it mildly. In this special edition of Hold the Line, we'll take a deep dive into the races you should be keeping an eye on as November rolls around. Welcome to this special edition of Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Let's start with this. Biden is in free fall. The Democrats going along with them. It is a mess for the left, for the libs. Joe Biden's approval rating as we go to air here. Approved 37%, okay? Disapprove 58%. Those are abysmal numbers. Those aren't like those are rookie numbers, get them up a little bit. Those are time to throw your hat in the ring of, or rather. Put your hat up and retire. How about that one? Time to be done. Joe Biden can't get it done. That's why the numbers are going in this direction. We can all see it. Now, what's pushing this sentiment, right? American voters in the condition of the economy, we got, this is a Fox News poll, 5% say it's excellent. And I wonder how many of them get stock tips from Nancy Pelosi. 13% say good, fair, 25%, poor, 57%. Those are also people who are known as readers or those who pay attention. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's bad out there for Democrats. There is no question about it. The only questions that remain outstanding, it seems, right now as we go into this midterm election are, will Republicans have a historic win in the House, and will they be able to take control of the Senate? Senate race is probably going to be close because this isn't a great cycle for Republicans, irrespective of the... Political conditions right now, but voters that geo rather voters that issues care about and that the GOP handles better. Take a look at this: inflation, which is so high in the list, Republicans are up nineteen points on that one. Border security also up nineteen points. Crime, Republicans up thirteen points. Even foreign policy up eight. Now let's talk about how we got to this point. Before we break down some of the uh, places where there will be key contests and hopefully some big. Republican uh, pickups. But let's see how we got here. On inflation, the Biden administration decided first thing they did when they came into office, really, was try to push and did push a party line $1.9 trillion spending package. Now, that alone is a point of some madness, obviously, because they had already gone through a period under COVID of lockdowns, of trillions of dollars of additional spending. This was a really Bad idea, okay? This was a really bad idea. And what did Joe Biden want to do beyond that? He decided that he should spend $5 trillion additional dollars with Build Back Better. So if you think inflation comes from poor monetary policy and too much government expenditure, then you realize that the Democrats are to blame here. On the border, it's rather straightforward. The Democrats do not believe that illegal immigration is a problem. They think that it's just something to be managed, but in terms of the incentives, that it should really be encouraged. Because they view this as helpful to them over the long term for their electoral prospect. They think that the more people who come here illegally from developing countries around the world, the likelier it is that Democrats will have a permanent voting. Majority, they speak about this openly. This is part of their strategy. One interesting part of this, though, is that the numbers actually for Hispanic Americans are increasingly trending toward Republicans. In fact, in a lot of recent polling, you've seen that Hispanic voters in this country may well go as a majority for the Republican candidates. So that's a big deal. On crime, it couldn't be any more obvious. Democrats are the party of defund the police of progressive prosecutors, of ending mass incarceration. And these are the things that have led to the rapid deterioration of safety and security in our cities, in our towns, even in rural areas of the country. It turns out that when you undermine the very foundation of your criminal justice system because of a panic over systemic racism, and a desire to go easier on criminals. I mean, these Democrat notions could only lead in one direction in terms of defunding police and the things that the the policy decisions they've made. And here we are seeing what's going on with it. And then of course on foreign policy, Joe Biden was supposed to be a foreign policy expert. You realize that? They brought him on to the Obama ticket to be vice president because he was a steady hand on foreign policy. But what do we really know about Joe? He is, on foreign policy issues, the most consistently wrong person in the game over the last 40 or so years. We saw this with the debacle of the U.S. pullout in Afghanistan, how it was done, the actual pullout and the um, decision-making day-to-day there. And then also with just the fact that we have the biggest war in Europe since World War II underway, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has not been managed well by the Biden administration. This war never should have even been able to start if there was deft diplomacy in the White House. So these are some of the things we're going to be looking at here as issues that are going to be center, uh, front and center in some of these major campaigns. With just one pickup needed for Republicans to swing the balance of power in their favor, millions of dollars are pouring into a number of key U.S. Senate races. We'll take a look at those races to watch with commentary editor for the Washington Examiner, Con Carroll, coming up. Does the current nationwide shortage of infant formula have you asking what next? Did you know that nearly 100% of our nation's supply of antibiotics is produced outside the United States, mainly in China and India? If we can't control our domestically produced baby formula, what about all the life-saving medications produced overseas? Many experts predict that if there were a supply chain disruption in the pharmaceutical industry, pharmacies could run out of most antibiotics in a matter of weeks. Thankfully, there's a new service to help you prepare for such an event. Have you heard of the Jace case? It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, and skin infections. Every household needs at least one Jace case. Go to jacemedical.com buck right now and use the code word buck10 for $10 off your Jace case. That's code word buck10 for $10 off at jacemedical.com buck, jacemedical.com buck. The United States Senate evenly split 50-50 between parties. There's a very good chance that the chamber could flip to Republican control in November. In total, 35 U.S. Senate seats will be contested in this year's midterm elections. The GOP needs just one pickup to change the balance of power. There are four competitive races in particular that Republicans should be keeping an eye on. Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. Join me now. Make sense of all this. Commentary editor at the Washington Examiner, Mr. Con Carroll. Con, great to see you. Great to see you, Buck. So, just to, at the at the overview level, um, how's it looking for Republicans in terms of just Senate control going into this midterm? I mean, uh, I'm seeing House percentage likelihood uh, going to the GOP 90 percent, 92 percent. People seem very, very confident. Senate feels like a different deal. What are
4: you seeing? Yeah, I'm seeing the Republicans just not getting good candidates in the races they need. In the House, it's a lot more about the environment, it's a lot more about the president's uh, approval rating, but in the Senate, it's gonna come down to candidates and Republicans just are not getting the candidates they need to guarantee a Senate victory. I still think they're gonna pull it out, but it's gonna be close.
0: So let's take a look at some of these individual races. Um, you have, in Pennsylvania, a seat that was, uh, or is, is vacated now, will be vacated by retiring Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey, Republican Senator Pat Toomey. So right now the race is between Dr. Oz, Dr. Mehmet Oz, known to a lot of people, and this guy John Fetterman. Fetterman's ahead at 50%, Oz is 44%. Now Oz's got a lot of money, personally, and got a lot of recognition because of his Media profile, why is Fetterman ahead of Oz at this point? Do you think he can close the gap?
4: Uh, I do think Oz could close the gap. He is going to have to have a couple of things break his way. Uh Fetterman's just a real authentic person. He's a great candidate. Um, Oz is an okay candidate. He's, he's a newbie. This is his first race. Um, but as your viewers may know, Fetterman did have a stroke on, actually, election night. And he hasn't had a lot of public appearances since then. Um, in fact, he's uh, going to have a, a fundraiser in Philadelphia tonight, and it's gonna really going to be really one of the first times people could see him in action. Um, and what I'm hearing is he's not all there yet, and uh, he even admitted himself he went to go visit some campaign workers and said, "I'm not back yet." So it's really going to come down to the debate and and how, with it, Betterman seems at that time. If if it appears that he's lost a step, Oz could definitely pull out this race, no problem.
0: So that one is going to be obviously very closely watched. Another one, I think uh, the, the one that the media focus may be the most intense on of all these upcoming Senate races could be the Georgia Senate race, the uh, seat that's up for grabs. Well, not up for grabs. I mean, it's obviously right now in Raphael Warnock's possession, but it's going to be Warnock versus Herschel Walker, 47 for uh, Walker, the latest polling we could pull. 50% for Warnock. We know this is going to be a close one. How is Herschel doing as a candidate? And what do you think the chances are he could pull this off? What has to happen in Georgia?
4: This is another newbie candidate, uh, someone who's never run a race before. Uh, but even, even worse than Oz, Oz had a very competitive primary. He went out and debated. He went out and met with people. He interacted with the press multiple occasions, gave tons of interviews, was on talk radio, uh, very comfortable on television. Walker's not doing any of that. He's basically bunkered down, sitting in his campaign room, not doing anything. He's not going anywhere. He's not talking to people. He's not giving interviews, and it has a lot of people nervous because he just hasn't been tested. Meanwhile, you've got Warnock out there. He's going to raise probably more money than any other Senate candidate, and I, people in Georgia, Republicans in Georgia, have a right to be worried. It just doesn't look like Herschel Walker is is a, is so far a fighter. He, he's someone who wants to stay home and let the Party do the work for
0: him. Is Warnock getting a ton of uh, donation money from out of state? We've seen that in some other other races up to this point.
4: Yeah, him and Abrams are getting tons of money, particularly from California. This is a seat that national Democrats really want to hold on to. It's sort of what they see as a red seat, maybe a purple seat, but it's one of the redder ones out there and they really feel like they can win this and that Warnock has a shot. Now we move to
0: Nevada and the Senate race there between Adam Laxalt, who I've, I've, I've interviewed him many times. He was state attorney general there, a very sharp guy, smart guy, and uh, I believe was actually um, the roommate of Ron DeSantis, do I, do I have that? I, I think they, they bunked together in the military at one point, uh, or maybe it was in law school, I can't remember now. And then there's Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democrat there, she's a little ahead, Tell me in this Nevada Senate race, what's going on?
4: Well, here you have a more blue state. You have an incumbent. This is one Republicans should not be winning. But unlike the last two races here, the Republicans have a good candidate. That's also good, like like, like you said, he's smart, he's with it, he does media appearances, he's on the trail, he's out mixing it up with uh, uh, rank and profile voters, he's the real deal. Uh, So uh, in a wave year, when Republicans are doing well and the economy is not doing well, Laxos the type of candidate who can, can put in the work and can definitely beat the Democratic incumbent out there. Absolutely.
0: Now, we got an interesting situation here in Arizona where the GOP primary is just going to be decided coming up here in a matter of weeks. We've got three candidates who are all pretty much in striking distance of each other, right? We've got Blake Masters out front, 25%, but Mark Bernovich, the AG, is at 14% there. Jim Lamont, is at eighteen percent. Now, Masters has a solid lead, but there's still some time left here. And obviously, if you had only had two candidates, it might be a very different situation. What do you think of you know What do you think of this race so far? Why has Masters been able to get out front? Do you think he Do you think he keeps that lead?
4: I do. I do. I think Masters is a new breed of Republican, along the lines of JD Vance. Uh, all uh, both of those guys are backed by Peter Thiel. I think they're a strong kind of new national conservative type uh, Republican that's uh, very big on America first, uh, on American families, and protecting American families. They both have a lot of uh, rhetoric and policy along those lines. I think that's gonna sell. I think Masters is gonna pull this out. And then I think he's gonna beat Mark Kelly in the general election.
0: Yeah, tell me about that. Uh, how's Kelly doing right now in terms of support, Mark Kelly, I saw something where Blake Masters said that, you know, not everything can be about how I used to be an astronaut. So how's Kelly actually doing in his home state in terms of the polling?
4: Not well, Uh, he's underwater approval wise. Um, He hasn't really staked out an identity beyond being voting with Schumer all the time. You know, unlike Sinema, who's really definitely established a brand of independence and has bucked her party, uh, Mark Kelly has gone in the opposite direction and has basically done whatever Chuck Schumer tells him to do. And that's going to hurt him in a state where, you know, you have mavericks like John McCain, et cetera. And, you know, sometimes we may think that's a little silly, but um, it's a brand that cinema has embraced and is doing well. And it's something where Mark Kelly hasn't. And he's uh, has Blake Masters or whoever the Republican candidate is, is going to have a great opportunity to define Kelly as a national Democrat who needs to be kicked out of office. John, always appreciate the insight, sir. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely, Buck, anytime.
0: While national races make the headlines, it's local elections that may have the biggest impact on the lives of Americans. When we come back, the founder of the 1776 Project, PAC, Ryan Gruduski, joins us to explain how. A lot of companies promise that your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. Spelled S-E-K-U-R, Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communication is based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platform. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mind your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence you're not being spied on by your internet provider or big tech. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. And use promo code Buck for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. While congressional, senate, and governor's races make the headlines, local elections arguably have just as much of an impact on the everyday lives of Americans. Perhaps the most important races are those for local school boards in many ways, which set and implement the policies that kids are being taught in public schools. For more on how 2022 is shaping up for America's school board races, let me turn to Ryan Grudusky, the founder of the 1776 Project PAC, and uh, which is an organization that supports candidates around the country who oppose critical race theory instruction in schools. Ryan, good to see you.
6: Hey, thanks for having
0: me. So can you give us just an overview of why school board races, which is something that I think even a few years ago, people would have thought are as important as you know local dog catcher. There's been an awakening about this. Where does that come from?
6: Yeah, you know, school boards, I mean, they decided a lot of things during COVID that were really impactful, like school shutdowns, uh, like mask mandates, which people are, st- continuing to push, San Diego County schools just announced that they're gonna do a mask mandate come September for students. Um, and they also promoted a lot of superintendents that pushed from promoted critical theory throughout schools. This is this is what children learn, this is how they learn, this is how teachers are forced to teach in many res- uh, respects. And this is also how disciplinary action is held within schools. Uh, a couple of years ago, they I mean, about a decade ago, uh, Barack Obama sat there and said, hey, we're going to do something called ending the school to prison pipeline. And that allowed a lot of children who should have been notified by police officers that they had criminal conduct in school to evade being detected by police. And a young man named Nicholas Cruz was never, ever uh, brought to police's attention and uh, in any serious uh, way anyway, and he was able to buy a gun and commit a mass shooting. This all happens through the school board process, through the superintendent process, and people rarely ever pay attention to it. And that's why I'm very passionate about this issue, to get conservatives involved and actually know who to vote for, because most superintendent elections are nonpartisan. They don't have a Republican or Democrat behind their name. And um, a lot of people drop off the ballot. They vote for president or governor or senator or maybe Congress, and then they stop voting. They don't vote for the city councilman or the mayor or or the school board attendant, remember. So that's— um, that is what, what, why, why it's critical, to why you should care about this issue.
0: Have the anti-critical race theory uh, candidates for school board, have they been making some serious gains over the last year? And what are your expectations going into the next cycle?
6: Yeah, last year we did, my, my pack supported 58 candidates, and 42 won. Uh, in Texas, we did 15 races, all 15 won. We lost some in Georgia, and we won some in New York. We're looking at Florida right now. Florida is a big state governor. DeSantis is the first governor, in recent times anyway, to endorse dozens of school board candidates, to try to get school board candidates who actually believe in, in his opinions and his views. And there's races across this entire country in November. Uh, a lot of big ones in California, Michigan, Rhode Island, Maryland, uh, really, really important, Georgia, again, they're really important races, you know, and it's, it's, it's convenient because people think I'm, you know, I live in a red state or red county, I'm not, I, I don't have to worry, you know, my kids are completely fine and my area is completely fine, but it, it, but what Governor Santa's understands is it's in red county America, it's in red state America, it's not something that is, uh, that's hidden, you know, beyond the pale. Uh, and a lot of governors, unfortunately, who could do more, have not done enough. And a lot of school board members uh, and superintendents have not been pushed out, who are really supportive of this idea. One of the, I'll give you a perfect example. One of the races that we're looking at right now is Indian Falls County, Florida, perfectly Republican county, voted for. Trump twice, voted for Mitt Romney, John McCain, George W. Bush twice, Republican County. Right now, in their, in, their school, in their school platform, it says that they're gonna eliminate disparities in classrooms removal based on race and ethnic subgroups. What does that mean? That means that they're trying to make all kids who are suspended from schools, black, Hispanic, white, exactly the same. Nothing in life is exactly the same, and with a lot of kids going, you know, who are black and Hispanic being who shouldn't be suspended, they're creating alternatives from suspension. So that way, black and Hispanic kids who should be suspended, should be maybe even notified for the police if they have criminal behavior, are looking at alternatives to suspension. White children, they are who should be suspended, are being suspended because the white number needs to be high enough to match black and Hispanic numbers. We're seeing this right now in San Francisco, which we saw the removal of three school board members in America's most liberal city. 65% of black students in San Francisco are chronically absent. 27% are proficient in reading, 40% are proficient in math. And yet graduation rates are at 87% for black students in San Francisco public schools. That is not because they are able to read write do math or they are you know an investment in a uh, educated workforce into the future this is a really a complete loss of their abilities that they are and be you know extremely functioning adults in the best possible way and fully capable of getting a great job uh, Hispanic numbers are not as high, but very, very high at the same exact amount. And yet 50% still go to college. This is a dumbing down on our standards, it's a dumbing down of our workforce, and it's a future that's very, very hard for a lot of people to grasp, where it's easy to lose victims because they are being victims from the early age of going to a grammar school and a public elementary school and being pushed through simply because you have to keep quotas very high.
0: You mentioned Florida Governor DeSantis, uh, Florida's Governor DeSantis, endorsing uh, school board candidates. I'm just wondering, why haven't governors done that? And are are you expecting that there'll be more Republican governors who follow suit?
6: Well, because I mean, in in my experience, every time that I got involved in a school board election, I was politicizing education because, you know, teachers unions have never politicized education. And I think that a lot of people thought it was just beyond the pale, that a governor could write an executive order or pass a bill and that was good enough. Um, or they could, you know, even appoint people who are, you know, Governor Yunkin in Virginia has now appointed people who are uh, part of the statewide Virginia school system that are very much against the equity, uh, against against the uh, the critical theory version of equity. The previous Democratic governor had a, school, had a, had a, a statewide school program that was very much about promoting equity. Um, which, uh, which has caused a lot of these problems. So I think some governors are really grasping it or understanding it. But I don't know if any have yet sat there and have jumped, um, jumped into the school board races. Governor Schmidt in Oklahoma has endorsed and campaigned on behalf of a statewide superintendent, which is a rare position that not many states have. Um, and he's working, you know, with a man named Ryan Walters, who we've also 1776 Project packs also endorsed uh, for statewide superintendent of education. But aside from those very rare cases, a lot of them are still not understanding how detrimental the system is right now towards young people.
0: And Ryan, you know you, you understand these races and, and are and are involved in trying to get people to become involved themselves. What does it require? I mean, if someone's watching, they say, you know what, I I, I want to get into the school board race uh, in my county, in my town, district, whatever
6: it may be. What do you, What's required? How do they do it? Well, I mean, you just file a run. I mean, anyone can file a run. And every state's different. Some have to require signatures. Some, I think, it's just putting some money, like $5 down to get on the ballot. It's not very complicated. And running for school board is not as expensive, obviously, as running for state legislature or Congress. You could probably run with just a few thousand dollars if you're in a rural district or maybe up to $50,000 in a more urban or, or suburban district. Um, the bigger thing is, is that most people are not gonna run, They're, but they are gonna vote. So what I would always recommend to voters is vote from the bottom of the ballot up. Most people vote for the governor or the senator, and they just forget to vote down ballot. Vote at the bottom and then work your way up. And be very well informed of who you know your teachers union is supporting, because they always endorse public school candidates. Uh, school board candidates, uh, look at who uh, maybe some local politicians have endorsed. That's always very, very important. But, uh, and, but also school board candidates are all year long. The Florida elections are August 23rd primary day. And if you get over 50%, you don't have a November election. So primary day in the case of Florida, that's the whole kid and caboodle. And many of these races, they won't have an election come November. So you need to find out when these dates are and actually vote on them when the election matters. Florida does not have a competitive Republican governor or Senate primary. So a lot of people are not looking to vote. They feel like they don't have a need to, but your school board is on the ballot in Florida on primary in August 23rd in most of these counties. And there will not be another chance to vote for them come November.
0: Ryan Gurdusky, always illuminating, sir. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. We'll be right back with more of this special edition of Hold the Line. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a recent story about an Arizona real estate agent that found the home she lived in was listed for sale. Problem was, she wasn't selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime happening all over the country. According to the experts at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply creates a fake title transfer for your home and refiles as the new owner. Then he can take out loans on your home or sell it. Typical identity theft services don't cover you and neither does homeowners insurance. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down and help get your home back in your name. Here's what you should do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from FBI agents and government officials. Then register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. And when you protect your home, tell them Buck sent you to get 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com, again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. we get closer to the midterm elections, it remains likely that a red wave is going to sweep over the House of Representatives. Not only Republicans, but Democrats are now upset with the way the country is moving backwards under President Biden, plummeting approval ratings, inflation through the roof. So will we see some Democratic voters jump ship and join the right and be in the right on Election Day? Join me now to discuss CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan. My man Ned, how you doing?
5: Doing well, Buck. Good to be back with you.
0: So let's, let's, just, let's set the table here, okay? Going into, uh, we, we, we talk about the Senate. Senate looks like it's really close. House representatives, we gotta win. If we don't, I mean, why are we even showing up to pretend Republican Party matters? But how much do we have to win by? I mean, here's a graphic showing the current House balance of power. Democrats 220, Republicans 211, need 218 for control. What's your target, Ned? What are we trying to get to?
5: Well, first of all, Buck, you're right. If if we do not take the majority back in the House in a year like twenty twenty two and all the dynamics are in our favor, I mean again, this is a political climate that goes back to really twenty ten. Uh, but but I would I would tell people for perspective, I've seen recent approval polls with Biden's approval in the low thirties. And right before Democrats got wiped out in the twenty ten midterms, Obama was about mid 40. He was forty four point seven. So when a president is that far underwater, the, the, the party in power in the White House is that far underwater, it does not bode well. Uh, so we've really got to gain just a handful of seats to take the majority back. But I don't want to settle for that, Buck. I think we need to go for 40 or 50, and I think that's very doable. Uh, if you look at some of these, these districts, and, and I've even been saying this in a variety of places, Buck, based off what I saw in Virginia, and again, that's where I'm at, I'm in Loudoun County. A state that Biden won by 10 points in 2020, Youngkin wins by two. And I want people to look at that and realize, I think in these midterms, anything, any of the new districts, and there's about 45 Democratic districts that are Biden plus 12 or less. I think all 45 of those are absolutely in play.
0: That's, that, that's remarkable. I mean, that would be a red wave, the likes of which we have not seen in a long time. And, and you could have Republicans in a position of power in the House that would go back to historic uh, proportions, right, right? all-time proportions. Here's a chart from Real Clear Politics that shows the generic congressional vote from July of last year to July of this year. The generic vote has kind of done a 180 in favor of Republicans. I mean, the based on the data, everyone can assume the economy, inflation, huge part of this. But are there right. any other things that are really moving this in the direction of? Is just the the re- realization that Joe Biden and his party haven't gotten anything done. I mean, what are the key indicators here, or rather the you know the key signposts along the way to what seems to be a huge shift in in sentiment toward the GOP generic candidate?
5: Well, I, I think part of it comes from from the Biden White House. You're, you're seeing in the, the more recent polls in which he has absolutely plummeted uh, with his approval rating, they're asking, do you think that Joe Biden has the answers or the ability to fix these problems. And of course, the a lot of people are, are saying no. The overwhelming majority of people are saying no. Again, because I would remind people, they're not interested in solutions. All of this that has brought about the inflation and the high gas prices, it, it's intentional. So of course they don't have the solutions because they don't want the solutions. What they are doing is absolutely intentional. But the other thing I, I would point out, Buck, that, that there's always an important dynamic. You've always got the red versus blue teams. And a lot of the reds going to vote Republican. A lot of the blue are going to vote for Democrats. Don't forget the independent. And a lot of these approval rating polls, Joe Biden's at 19 percent, I've even seen in some of them, but most of the time in, in mid to low 20s. That's staggering, those numbers that the independent voters look at the Democratic Party and Joe Biden and, and in such low approval ratings. And I think a lot of them are going to vote Republican. That's where you're going to see the major shift in the electorate. Because again, a lot of people vote either Democrat or Republican based off their actual affiliation. It's the independents of which there's a significant amount that I think are going to really prove the difference because they have absolute disdain for Joe Biden and his policies.
0: Do you think there could be some major upsets or or some pickups of Republicans winning winning a congressional race, let's say, in what was a deep blue state that would have been unthinkable even a year ago?
5: I I do. Uh, I've even had the thought, and and it sounds maybe a little crazy right now, Buck, but these trajectories, inflation's not getting better. Joe Biden's approval ratings are not getting better. All of these trajectories, as you get closer to the midterms and we're not that far away, they start to harden and they're going in a certain direction, which is not good for Democrats. I think, and I know this sounds crazy, even as I'm saying it, if anything, that Joe Biden won by 20 points or less in 2020 might actually be in place. So think about the 45 Democratic seats that are plus 12 or less you might even get up to the plus 20 range or less that Republicans could absolutely be competitive in and, and sneak a few House seats, and I think even maybe sneak a Senate seat or two as well.
0: Here is MSNBC, for example, worried that losing the midterms could be worse for them than even losing the presidency, they say. Watch this. We're approaching the 100-day out from a midterm. If things don't go well in the midterm, as if meaning if these election deniers win Secretary of State, win, the, win governorships, win Attorney General, take back the Senate, take over the House, it doesn't matter who's on the ballot in 2024. Uh, you know, Dowd is a moron, but I do think he's right insofar as if Biden has a divided Congress going into whatever the reelection cycle is going to be, whether it's Biden or somebody else, it's not going to be good for the Democrats.
5: Well, but even more, that's probably the most intelligent thing I've heard Dowd say in years. But I think what he's really alluding to, Buck, is even beyond the federal races. There's 36 gubernatorial, 35, I think, attorney general, 26, 27 secretary of state uh, races uh, this, this midterm. If Republicans can take the gubernatorial seats, and I think they have a legitimate chance in all of these in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, maybe even even in Nevada, You win 2024 by winning in 2022. Democrats can't pull the same tricks they pulled in 2020 if you're holding on to the gubernatorial and the secretary of state and you've got all the legislative seats. I think really what doubt is realizing that if if they get obliterated, not only at the federal level, but at the state level, Democrats are going to have a very, very hard time winning in 2024 because they can't pull the Center for Tech and Civic Life. They can't skirt state laws and constitutions. They can't pull the universal mail-in ballot tricks that they pulled in a lot of these battleground states in 2024. That's what he's starting to realize.
0: And it might be a rough election for some rhinos out there, from what I understand. (laughs) Wyoming GOP primary race, for example, shows Liz Cheney behind Harriet uh, 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 Hageman. I don't know, Harriet. Um, 31 to 59. Liz Cheney, she's going to lose her seat, you think?
5: You know the only dynamic that, that that people should be aware of is Democrats can cross over, and a lot of Liz Cheney's campaign right now is trying to get Democrats to cross over and vote for her uh, in in that primary. It's an open primary uh, in in Wyoming. There's just simply not enough Democrats in the state of Wyoming, though. I think to save Liz Cheney, but you, the August primaries are going to be very interesting, Buck. I, I would encourage people. August second, got some really interesting primaries in Michigan and in Washington State in which Trump-endorsed candidates are going up against impeachment voters. Uh, and then you've got also, a, a couple of weeks later, that that Wyoming primary as well. So I think you're going to see some pretty interesting results in Republican primaries in August. It's also going to be another telling sign, how is Trump's endorsement record going to hold up against incumbents? But again, these incumbents, uh, incumbents voted for impeachment, I think a lot of them are in serious trouble, like Liz Cheney.
0: Ned, thanks so much. Good to see you. Thanks, Buck. In addition to federal elections, Americans in 36 states will choose their next governor. We'll take a look at some of those races with the politics editor for the Washington Examiner, Jim Antle, when we come back. with the midterms just around the corner, everyone's wondering if we're going to see this red wave takeover at the state level as well as the federal. For gubernatorial races, there are 36 states to elect their new governor. For more on this, let me bring in Jim Antle. He's the politics editor at the Washington Examiner. Jim, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So, a new USA Today Suffolk University poll shows Democrats with a narrow advantage over Republicans on the congressional ballot, 44 to 40%, a bit better than the 40-40 split they scored in June. But gloom about the nation's economy and its politics still pose big hurdles for Democrats to avoid significant losses going forward. What, what are you looking at in terms of some of these governor's races? I mean, what are the big ones that are top of your radar right now?
7: Well, there are a couple of different things. I mean, one, you have a couple of really important sitting Republican governors who are running for reelection. And I think chief among those is Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, who is widely considered to be a 2024 possibility, may become the front runner if former president Donald Trump doesn't run, uh, but certainly would be a competitive candidate should they both choose to run. And so he's running for reelection this year and the margin by which he wins, should he win, uh, and he is favored to do so, could tell us a lot about his future prospects. He's taken some pretty strong stands, conservative stands, in which historically speaking, been a battleground state. And he fought a close election in 2018 to get elected in the first place. So if he's able to get reelected by a comfortable margin, that should be a pretty good indicator of his electoral strength that may have national implications. Can I just, uh, just
0: throw in the mix here really quickly, Jim? Uh, the state of Florida, we got some numbers here. DeSantis versus his expected Democrat opponents, right? Either Charlie Crist or Nikki Freed versus right. Crist. DeSantis is at 50% in the most recent polling we could find. Charlie Crist is at 41, so he seems to have a pretty comfortable lead there. And then if it is DeSantis versus Nikki Freed, who I believe is the agricultural commissioner for the state of Florida, DeSantis is at 52 to 39%. Is there any expectation that uh, that's gonna turn around or is it look, I mean, doesn't
7: DeSantis have like a $100 million war chest? I mean, if you're looking in terms of how much money he has, in terms of how much exposure he has, and in terms of how well he's doing in the polls, the Democrats don't seem to have a very good chance here. And in the recent past, The Republicans have actually outperformed their poll numbers Have tended to do better on election day than the polls have predicted. So if that's the case, he could be looking at a reelection landslide. It's obviously it'll be a good year for Republicans, but that would really put him in a strong position to say that he easily won reelection in a battleground state as a sort of conservative model on things ranging from COVID-19 to fighting woke corporations.
0: Now let's take a look at Pennsylvania, Jim. The Democratic nominee there is current Attorney General Josh Shapiro. There are a number of Republican candidates fighting for the uh, possibility of being the next governor there. Who stands out in your mind? How's this race looking?
7: So Doug Mastriano was the Trump-endorsed candidate in the Republican primary. He will be the Republican nominee against Shapiro. This is the candidate many Democrats wanted to face off against, and establishment Republicans uh, didn't want him, uh, largely due to his stance on the 2020 presidential election and questioning some of Pennsylvania's practices there. You know, it's a close race if you look at the polling. It's competitive. And the national party has been hesitant to get involved if he can't show that he'll be competitive. Uh, But the indications are that this could be a tight race. So Democrats often need to be careful what they wish for because they just might get it. And this is going to be a key state nationally in 2024 as well. So this is an important race for Republicans. And if they were to win, it would be a pickup of the seat.
0: Another showdown that's going to get a lot of attention for a governor's mansion, at least a lot of media attention, is going to be down in Texas, where current governor, Greg Abbott, is going to be up against Beto Robert O'Rourke. Um, right now, Greg Abbott's at 47% to Beto at 41%. Uh, how is this lining up, and what are your expectations?
7: Well, see, O'Rourke is an interesting character, because he's kind of gotten this reputation among national Democrats and has a huge national fundraising base, basically from running a little bit better than you'd expect a Democrat to run statewide in Texas, uh, but still losing. And that's only an impressive thing to do so many times. So that's going to be a big problem O'Rourke has going into this race. Now, I would expect Abbott to have a much bigger lead than what he currently does in the polls. So that would be him being below 50% is mildly concerning. But when you think of the fact that O'Rourke came up short in 2018 in a statewide race during a very good cycle for Democrats nationally, you can't really expect him uh, to pull off the upset here this November.
0: And now moving to the state of Georgia, Stacey Abrams squaring off against the current governor, Kemp. How do you think Abrams is looking in this race? How is that going to shake out?
7: You know, the polling has been a little varied there, but most of the polls do show Brian Kemp ahead. uh, And it only really differs in terms of how far he's ahead. Uh, You know, Stacey Abrams is another case where coming close in 2018, a great democratic cycle might not cut it in a more Republican cycle, in a more Republican year. So if there's a red wave, Stacey Abrams might not be able to claim that voter suppression uh, somehow denied her her rightful governorship. It may not be close enough for her to plausibly uh, make those types of contentions, although that may not stop her, uh, but it's not looking like it's shaping up to be a good year for her. Now, the, the Senate race being tight and maybe with the Democrats still leading there, Republicans can't completely uh, give up on the idea that Georgia will be a competitive state across the board. Obviously, it was a closely fought state in 2020, so they can't really uh, rest on their laurels. But at the moment, it it doesn't look like the best time for Stacey Abrams to be forcing this rematch.
0: And I'm just wondering if there are any places, uh, any other governor's races you're looking at where you think you could actually get a GOP or a Democrat upset.
7: Well, the big thing will be, there, similar to Pennsylvania, there was uh, Democrats tried to intervene in the Republican primary in Maryland, and they got their wish, and it was also a Trump-endorsed candidate. This is a state that is very, very blue, uh, but the two-term, retiring, term-limited, Republican Governor Larry Hogan, uh, who has some presidential aspirations of his own, has held the, the fort down there pretty well in terms of being able to beat Democratic challengers. Is this a year that's red enough uh, that Democrats will have miscalculated by helping uh, the Republican nominee win this in this uh, primary? That's a good question, and we'll have to see.
0: Jim, appreciate the expertise. Thanks for being with us.
7: Thank you for having me.
0: That's all the time we have for this special edition of Hold the Line. I'd like to thank my guests, Ned Ryan, Con Carroll, Jim Antle, and Ryan Gruduski for sharing their expertise with us. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is coming up next. Shields high. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T, dot org.
3: You know how to book flights and hotels. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
0: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of
1: Fredo, and the coldness of Michael.